Okay, everybody, welcome back once again to Tech Gumbo. I'm Haggai Davis II, along with Haggai Davis III, and we'd like to welcome you to Tech Gumbo. Here on our show, we like to talk about the past, present, and future of all things technology in a topical, interesting, and digestible way. Without a lot of geek speak or a bunch of acronyms, we just want to talk about tech that's important to us and important to you. Speaking of important to us, we want to thank Cardinal Capital. To business owners and CEOs, hopefully you have a good relationship with your bank. Even if you do, though, sometimes you face other challenges, such as a need to consolidate debt, a want to level out your cash flow, or a desire to buy new equipment because you are in growth mode. If this describes you, give Cardinal Capital a call, whatever your need or challenge. They have over 4,000 lenders where they source commercial capital for business clients. Chris, Gary, and Rob at Cardinal Capital have a passion for business, and they want you to succeed. When you meet with Cardinal Capital, they get to know you and your business, so they can present your needs to lending institution that will best fit your unique situation. In short, they go after money for your business. They translate your business into what's important to banks, and they are good at it. Depending upon what the deal is, no matter how complicated or straightforward, they'll help maximize your profitability while setting your business up for success. They find the best solution for your situation, all while being fun and easy to deal with. For more detailed information, visit their website at cardinalcap.net, call 225-308-3700, or email them info at cardinalcap.net. So, Mr. Davis, let's let's do some tech gumbo in space for this segment yeah this is this is gonna be a fun one we decided to have everything just focus around space stories we had collected enough of them and thought it would be cool little themed episode the first story we want to talk about this is a follow-up to a story we did a couple of weeks ago where we talked about what we thought was going to be the falcon 9 the spacex falcon 9 crashing into the moon on march 4th turns out it's not. Yeah. the Some scientists went back and, and dug through some data, and it turns out that's what they thought was the Falcon 9 actually was originally unnamed and inside of a, the tracking database. And then someone said, the math does, doesn't quite line up for it to be a Falcon 9, and went back and then did some more digging and did some more digging and realized that it was actually a Chinese rocket instead. That's right. The the Chinese Chang 5T1, which launched a few months before the the Falcon 9 that that took off the in in 2015, is the actual rocket that's going to crash into the moon. They they did the math and this this one engineer at NASA's JPL, John Giorgini, I hope we pronounced that correctly. He was look. He was doing the math and saying, "Wait a minute, this is not where that Falcon Nine should be." And yep. sure enough, he's right. Yep, it was in in the the database was tracking everything. They had just given some variable names and just said, "This is you know unnamed object blank." And then people had assumed that it was a Falcon Nine, but upon further digging, they realized that it was not. So. Our apologies to slandering the good name of SpaceX. But that rocket, that Chang 5T1, is still going to hit the moon on March 4th. So get your popcorn ready and look for Get your telescopes ready. 
get your telescopes out, you know, because it's going to hit the backside of the moon. But as the moon does rotate, eventually we'll, we'll see the, the the spot. So it'll be fun. We'll uh, we'll keep an eye out. And once once that happens, we'll kind of tell you what what we thought about it. Continuing on with the crashing into things, NASA has said that they plan to move the ISS, the International Space Station, into end of life in 2031. Yes, and this isn't like some of the software companies when they go end of life. They're really going to make this end of life by splashing it back down into the Pacific Ocean. And splash is a very gentle term to describe it. But whenever you have this giant space station that's going to crash into the ocean, splash is a, is a very understated way to phrase that. They're hoping that the majority of it will burn up on reentry, but the pieces that won't burn up, whatever's left over, they're they're going to calculate it out and make sure that they do this so that it it does it into the Pacific Ocean, the biggest target there is. Yeah, and they also, I'm sure that they'll be very quick to go retrieve it. They're not just going to have it go splash and then let it sink. My guess is that Apollo style, that they're going to go pull out whatever they can because NASA is very concerned about just leaving junk, leaving trash in the ocean. So. So if you're on the Isle of Tonga or one of those other islands out there, get ready. And in a few years, about a decade from now, you're going to want to look up and see what's in the sky. Yeah, it'd be interesting. Probably take it a little bit to deorbit. And so we might have a nice comet essentially streaking across the atmosphere. Yeah, it's going, you know, it'll be interesting. Do they do they do it on a... They, they, change the the rotation so that it goes the length of the goes from the north pole to the south pole over the pacific kind of thing as opposed to east west where so the majority of it stays over the ocean during its its splashdown time that'll be interesting to watch yeah you know tune in in 2031 and we'll tell you more about it yes as tech gumbo will be in 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 starting into its uh, 16th year at that point or mm-hmm. more, seventeenth year, something like that. That'll be. That'll, hopefully, we'll be around, still doing this show. Uh, moving into the next big story. Speaking of space junk, the Pentagon is—they're putting out an RFP to. Hey, anybody got any ideas how to get rid of all those that space junk floating around up there? This is an idea. So it, it stems from an idea called Kessler syndrome. It was named for the NASA engineer who proposed it. And the concern is that we end up at a point in time wherever the orbit of Earth just has so much junk in it that it's not traversable anymore. That all the junk starts bumping into the other junk, and instead of having one junk, it splits into two junks. And so you're just covered, and you can't put up any new satellites, you can't send a rocket out, it's just a blanket trapping us. And so the Pentagon is trying to say, hey... What if we didn't end up in that situation? Let's be proactive about this as opposed to trying to be reactive about it. Yeah, because going up there with the big catcher's mitt kind of thing is not going to work. And floating some big magnet up there, that's also not going to work. And 
So then then what? You you've got to come up with some kind of way to because when when these satellites crash into one another, it doesn't just mean there's a, a big crash and stays in that one spot. You had 17,500 miles an hour going into 17,500 miles an hour. And now you have, instead of a one bullet going, you have a shotgun where you have all these BBs flying in a big spray pattern waiting to take out whatever that that big wad of that arsenal is looking to go take out. Yeah, and we would like our satellites to stay intact. We would like our astronauts to stay intact. And so if all of a sudden you have just more junk flying around, that poses a lot of problems. We talked a couple of weeks back about how there was the anti-missile test wherever China you know, fired a missile at a satellite and the debris really scared the satellite, the astronauts on the ISS because all of a sudden there was just extra debris floating around for a couple of days. And so we, we don't want to be in that situation. We want to, to know where all the debris is and we want it to be not a problem. If you've got some ideas, if you got a way, you know, hopping around in your Buzz Lightyear suit, you know, and want to get up there and just grab all that space junk and throw it back down towards Earth where it'll burn up in the atmosphere, call the boys and girls over at NASA. Let them know you got it figured out. Because apparently not many other people do right now. Yeah, and you have to think that it's not just something that we're concerned about. Europe has also got to be working on this. Britain, Russia... This is a problem. We all share the same atmosphere. Fun fact. So they got to have a, a joint solution that's, you know, China also has to collaborate with us. This is a, this could be a huge problem if we don't take the right steps to prevent it. And speaking of huge problems, the next story is competitors are concerned about SpaceX putting up 30,000 satellites. Yeah, it's. It's concerns from a lot of different people. So it starts with their competitors. Amazon uh, has said that they are you know, unhappy with it because their Project Kuiper, which is essentially the same thing as Starlink, but just Amazon branded as opposed to Musk branded, they are saying that the SpaceX will just crowd them out. Because the Amazon's Kuiper system wants to put up 7,000 of their own satellites. And then you've got OneWeb and Viasat and HughesNet and these other low Earth orbit companies that they want their satellites up there as well. And you get 30, 40, 50,000 satellites flying around low, low Earth orbit. The, the Kessler syndrome does have a much better opportunity to happen. So one of the things that Amazon has requested is that SpaceX share information with other companies on which satellite is transmitting to which are stationed to cut down on radio interference. Because it's not just about the satellites smashing into each other. It's about the fact that they're all shooting beams of information out there and that these beams aren't perfect beams. There's some information that kind of floats off on the sides and that you don't want them drowning each other out. And so you also need to make sure that your communications don't get overloaded other than just your physical space. Another thing that some of the critics are demanding is that the FCC, you know, they're concerned about the environmental concerns, you know, light pollution being one of them. And 
You put a lot more radioactive material up there that finds its way falling back towards Earth. Putting things up that's going to come back down and mostly burn up. You got to help us out here. Give us some inf more information as to what's going to happen with all of that material when it falls back to Earth. The a lot of critics are just saying that this needs more time. That thirty thousand satellites is a lot of satellites, and we really don't understand the full impacts of it yet. We really don't understand all of the different ways which this will have outcomes and all the different places where this is going to make a difference and we need more time to study this not just from the fcc the fcc is the ultimate organization which grants or will deny the application but a lot of different government agencies need to give input on this because this is going to have far-reaching implications then when you have other countries involved you know you get the european space agent the chinese space agency the russian space agency you get one of those countries that want to put up their own internet satellite program and who's controlling or regulating them now you've got a whole lot of concerns a whole lot of things happening and and nobody is telling everybody else hey this is what we're doing this is how we're doing it we're just doing it, get out of our way. Yeah, this, this definitely, we need some sort of global communication, some sort of global framework or structure on how we're going to use all of the space. Because right now it's mostly just us up there, but you have to think that the Chinese also want to use it. There's, it's too valuable to not. And so we need to make sure that we're not stepping on each other's toes, that we're not knocking satellites together because that's a huge problem. And this is not just Starlink or SpaceX's competitors. NASA's got, got their own concerns. They're wanting to know, hey, when you get these 30,000 satellites up there, and, and oh, by the way, they're only putting up 50 at a time right now. So it's going to take a long, long time to get to 30,000 satellites when they're putting up 50 every other week. So it's not like by Christmas there's going to be 30,000 satellites floating around out there. But they do want to know, are we going to – you get 30,000 of, of Starlink satellites and 7,000 of Amazons and, and everybody else putting up their low-Earth orbits. Are we going to be able to launch a rocket through that big net of – all these satellites buzzing around? Yeah, you have concerns about launching missions to space. You also have concerns about what it's going to do to astrophotography. You know, we talked about the the streaks across the sky that are already happening. Whenever you start to add a lot more of these satellites, you're going to really destroy your ability to do astronomy from the ground. And we need to do astronomy from the ground because it's there's just not enough space telescopes out there to be able to collect all this data. You're going to have to really prove that you're not going to be cluttering up the visual space as well. Elon Musk came out last week and he said 40 of the 49 most recent Starlink satellites that they put out got knocked out and have already deorbited because of a geomagnetic storm. It's pretty wild that the Earth's magnetic sphere can be strong enough to knock out the satellites. 
It'd be one thing if it was solar winds, but just a, a geomagnetic storm being powerful enough to throw off their communications and, and destroy the satellites like that. That's that's kind of powerful. It, it makes you wonder, okay, this is this coming from Earth. We get you know, the earth the sun up there and it burps one of its solar punches at the thirty thousand satellites. What happens to those satellites with when all of a sudden we do get one of those solar blasts that comes racing across and wipes out half of them? What kind of mess does that create? Oh yeah. And that doesn't even account for the sun could burp a, a normal size or we could have a Carrington event. So what the Carrington event is, it was named for a specific instance in the 1800s, wherever the sun released such a large solar flare that it caused electricity to jump out of metal objects. Now, this wasn't a huge problem in the late 1800s because they didn't really have a whole lot of electric equipment electric wires and things like that it fried a lot of their fried a lot of their morse code wires but it, you could see the northern lights all the way down into missouri that's how far down they came because that's how strong this event was if we have one of those kinds of problems you do destroy all of the satellites they do start to bump into each other and we do get the kessler syndrome and so that sounds like a bad day yeah, that's that's not a good thing. Yeah, that's, the the Carrington event is essentially the end of modern society as we know it. Yes, it would be. We'll we'll just hope that whenever the earth the sun continues to burp, it burps in the other directions. Yeah. But like that's, we've said before, space is pretty big. Yes, the we are we are pretty far. We are moving around. There's a, a whole lot of other places that I could go. And we hope that it won't happen again. But, you know, that's just kind of one of those things that's not really in our control. So we know it's going to happen again. Mathematically, it's going to happen again. The sun's not going to ha- stop spitting out solar flares. And we're just not that far away from the sun. And so at some point, it's going to happen again, and it's going to be a bad day for a whole lot of everythings. <laughs> yes. We'll see. You know, hopefully hopefully it's a, a long time. You know, hopefully it's a couple hundred years, and we figured out ways to better shield all of our electronics because it would fry every single piece of electronics on the planet. And so we, we would be starting over from zero. Back to the caveman days. Okay, great. Yep. So the last story we wanted to talk about, it's been four years since SpaceX launched the Red Roadster. Yeah, this was a one. Whenever I saw this headline, I didn't realize it had been four years. That's one of those events that you're like, oh, like that was, I could tell you it was pre-pandemic, but it's still weird to me that we're two years in the pandemic at this point. So Starman and his spacesuit strapped into the the Red Roadster has now made two and a half trips around the sun. His his orbit is pretty wide. He's his orbit has actually crossed 
Mars's path twice. It's so such a big orbit. It goes around the sun once every 557 days. If you ever want to know exactly where it is, you can go to whereisroadster.com. It's some independent site that tracks the car's real-time location in space. And you can go see, see where it's chilling. They did do some calculations, and they're kind of worried because initially when they launched Starman, they kind of thought, hey, it'd be kind of cool to see if it's fit can crash into Mars. Fortunately, it's not going directly there. It's got a little time between now and an impact point. Right. According to calculations from an astrophysicist at the University of Toronto, about 10 million years. So, you know, that's not really a problem for current us. That's a problem for future us to worry about. Yeah, I I don't think I don't think I'm not going to I'm not going to put a whole lot of worry into that one. It's good Lord by then. Well, they may be somebody jumping into the passenger seat and driving it for him by the. Yeah, 10 million years is a very long time. Yes, it is. And we want to thank General Informatics for sponsoring our show. General Informatics is an information technology firm with a mission to make our clients even more successful through the best use of technology. Based in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, General Informatics is a premier IT managed service provider, delivering exceptional managed IT solutions to a diverse base of customers across the Southeast United States. From the beginning, we have maintained our commitment to meeting the growing needs of our clients through continuous innovation. With over 20 years of experience and a team of 100 plus employees, including technicians, engineers, programmers, and designers, GI has evolved to become the leading IT partner of businesses, schools, and government agencies. Our managed services team can run your digital infrastructure or support your team on an on-demand basis, letting you focus on your business's strengths. This has become a proven formula, so proven that 98% of our clients continue to do business with us year after year. Whether you need IT services, new technology, or have a question, visit us on the web at geninf.com. If you enjoyed our show today, we are here on Talk 107.3 FM every Saturday at 4 p.m. And the show reruns Sundays also at 4 p.m. If you missed any part of the show today or you want to go back and hear us as a podcast, check out any previous episodes available on almost every podcast platform, including iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Google Music, Amazon Music, and more. When you're there, be sure to subscribe to get notified every time we post a new episode. If you like our show, you have any suggestions, or you have a question, shoot us a text, 225-255-0431. If we use your question as the question of the week, we will send you a free Tech Gumbo mug. Thank you for listening to Tech Gumbo.